Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, believing it's not just about living longer, it's about living healthier longer. Providing medical diagnostics to help catch deadly or debilitating diseases early. You can learn more on proactive screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Johnny Armstrong has voted in Albany, Georgia since 1955, so he remembers a time when local officials tried to keep black voters like him from the ballot box. Give you a bottle of big things, got a lot of marbles. You you guess how many marbles and you can vote. Ah. So for Armstrong, it felt remarkable. Some 70 years later, he helped elect Georgia's first black U.S. Senator, Raphael Warnock. And that Warnock has come to Albany as he campaigns for a full term. Let's win the future for all of our children. God bless you, Albany, Georgia. Keep the faith. Until a few cycles ago, a statewide candidate spending time here in this thinly populated, substantially black southwest corner of Georgia was virtually unheard of. But the ground has been shifting. Here's youth organizer Maggie Bell. I think when people think of rural voters, they think of farmers white people, but really, there are black people down here. There are black people who want to be a part of the election process, but they don't get a knock at their door. Democrats are hunting for votes in some of the most rural stretches of Georgia. How much will the results there affect who wins statewide? I'm Emma Hurt with Axios. I'm WABE politics reporter Raul Bally. I'm Sam Greenglass, also a WABE politics reporter. Our fearless leader, Susanna Capilouto, is away this week. And this is Georgia Votes 2022. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an and impact. I vote my because I want leaders who care about Voting my future. Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. So, Sam, you recently followed Senator Raphael Warnock through rural southwest Georgia. Democrats, you know, typically win cities and and, and they fight in the suburbs while Republicans dominate in rural areas. So why are Senator Warnock and Stacey Abrams spending time there? Well, one reason is that the margins matter a lot. In southwest Georgia, the region is home to a significant population of black voters. And Democrats want to chip into the GOP's margins in rural parts of the state, where Republicans typically perform really, really well. And it's not just southwest Georgia where Democrats are going. They're also speaking to communities in north Georgia, other rural parts of the state that maybe are home to less minority voters. And this reflects a shift in Democrats' strategy. And it really, we can trace it to Stacey Abrams' first run for governor in 2018. Rather than bending over backward to court more conservative voters, as 
Democrats for statewide office had done in the past. Abrams focused a bit more on activating non-voters, irregular voters, especially people of color in overlooked parts of the state. And so on this day, I was with Warnock. He spent the morning in Albany rallying a pretty big crowd of mostly, I'd say, older black voters on the city's riverfront Ray Charles Plaza. There's this big statue of Ray Charles seated at a piano that spins and plays his music right on the waterfront. Uh, It was really hot and lots of people were actually huddled under rain umbrellas, not because it was raining, but to try and block the sun. There was no shade at this venue. And then after that, we headed... uh, Um, you know, about an hour up the road through acres of peanut and cotton fields to the town of Americus, where Warnock did a second rally of the day. Now, you also talked to voters while you were down there. What did you hear from them, Sam? Well, you know, this region also faces significant challenges like disparities in health care and access to jobs. Rural hospitals have closed and southwest Georgia has not really seen the same economic boom that has happened in other parts of the state. Uh, at events that I went to, people were truly glad to see candidates here. They say it makes a difference. But at the same time, some voters are just tired. I shadowed some door knocking with the New Georgia Project, and we were in this neighborhood of small houses where backyard chickens were roaming freely. Uh Hello. Hi, my name is Shayla. I'm with the New Georgia Project. I was trying to find Miss LaVeisha Hooks. Hooks says she plans to vote, but she hasn't really thought much about the midterms yet. And frankly, she doesn't think politicians have done much to improve things. The wages are too low at my current job. Everything is more expensive. (laughs) Now, I want to say that if you look at returns from the 2020 election and the 2021 runoffs, It was the movement from red to blue in Metro Atlanta's suburbs that probably played the most important role in electing Biden and Warnock and Ossoff. But in races that are really tight, the margins do matter. So every candidate needs every voter that they can possibly get. So let's bring it back to the suburbs of Atlanta. Emma, Governor uh, Brian Kemp is campaigning this week with former South Carolina governor and U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Emma, talk to me about Atlanta suburbs, some of the most contested territory in this state. Right. And, Roel, you know better than all of us how important these fabled suburbs have been as we've watched Georgia's political change, starting really with then-congressional candidate John Ossoff's near flip of a longtime Republican congressional seat in 2017. We saw ultimately two congressional seats flip and then Biden, Ossoff and Warnock winning. And what's been happening in the suburbs is massive demographic change that's changing Georgia and changing Atlanta, both driven by in-migration, what, what demographics researchers have called the reverse great migration of Black Americans specifically moving back to the South, and also immigration, people moving here from other countries. Georgia has changed a lot, and with it, it's politics. And so when candidates are campaigning right now, yes, Republicans and Democrats are going to far-flung parts of the state to get any bit of voter margin they can, because in a battleground state, everybody is important. But now, given the power of Georgia's suburbs, you can't win here without winning most or a lot of suburban voters. 
And Emma, I'm curious, when you see Republicans campaigning in metro Atlanta suburbs, Republicans like Governor Brian Kemp, is there a certain type of surrogate, a certain type of message that appeals most to the type of potential Republican voters in a suburban place versus maybe a more rural community elsewhere in Georgia? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we're seeing Republicans kind of do two things. They're doing the what we would assume to be the standard look for the college-educated, more independent-leaning white voter with surrogates who are maybe more appealing in that way nationally, Nikki Haley being one, Glenn Youngkin, governor of uh, Virginia, being another, who are maybe seen as more moderate, less, you know, MAGA, pro-Trump. But we're also seeing Republicans work to activate voters of color specifically. I mean, the RNC has opened three different community centers in suburban Atlanta targeting Black voters targeting Hispanic voters and targeting AAPI voters. And that's new. That kind of targeted outreach for voters of color is something to watch as well, because Republicans, as we know, are trying to activate these voters, too. So Emma mentioned Glenn Youngkin, Nikki Haley. Georgia seems to be attracting a lot of national figures right now across the political spectrum. Raul, you spent time with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Tell me about that. So I saw her at an event at one of the major black churches in downtown Atlanta. She was joined by Georgia Congresswoman Nakima Williams, who's also uh, the chair of the state Democratic Party. Uh, They were talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, specifically uh, the billions of dollars for communities divided by the building of America's interstate highway system. Really something I found it interesting. But being so close to Election Day, I, I just had to ask Speaker Pelosi about the possibility of Democrats holding on to the U.S. House. We have never, ever thought that the Democrats would not hold the House. We have been working on this since the last election owning the ground with our mobilization at the grassroots level, owning the ground, getting out that vote. Now, along with talking about mobilizing uh, voters for Democratic candidates, she talked about fundraising and messaging, but she really had these interesting comments on the issue of abortion. So when the Supreme Court decision came down and people said, oh, you got lucky, we said, no, we made our own luck. We made our own luck. We have been ready for this. It isn't one of those things where you say, oh, too bad we didn't think we could win. No, we always knew we could because we had to. So a couple of other takeaways. Uh, She mentioned that Congressman Sanford Bishop, who's a Democratic congressman from Southwest Georgia, what we were just talking about a second ago, he's in the most competitive race here in the state of Georgia running against Republican Chris West. She called that race her highest priority. Later, we saw some pictures coming out of a fundraiser she did. So Seeing the Speaker of the House make the visit to Georgia, putting in almost a full day this close to the election, kind of shows you the priority of of how important Georgia is with all of those, whether it's messaging, making the visit to Atlanta, and then fundraising. All right, let's take a break. This is Georgia Votes 2022 from WABE in Atlanta. Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022. Let's move over to the governor's race for a minute. Stacey Abrams has been trailing Governor Brian Kemp in many of the polls, though the campaign says they are closing the gaps. Sam, you had a one-on-one interview with Stacey Abrams. What did you learn? Well, I sat down with Abrams inside a juice shop in Marietta, and she had just wrapped up a Q&A discussion with an OBGYN and about 30 or 40 women. And most of the questions were about how Georgia's new restrictive abortion law is playing out. Abrams, as you mentioned, is struggling to top Kemp right now. The New York Times reported this week that some Democrats in Georgia are starting to worry a little bit. And so I just want to play you a, a bit of our conversation. You've mentioned your opponent, Governor Brian Kemp, a few times. In the wake of the January 6th hearings, in the wake of his primary challenge from David Perdue, some voters in Georgia may see Kemp as a defender of democracy. And I wonder, do you worry that Democrats characterizing Kemp as you know, extreme might just not connect with some of those swing voters? Unlike some of the allegations that are tossed at me, we actually have proof of his extremism. It is in the criminal carry law that he signed. It is in the abortion ban that he signed. But even more importantly, what more Georgians are recognizing is that he is not a defender of democracy. He refused to commit treason once, as did every other governor in the country. Our bar should never be so low that not committing treason is a reason to celebrate. Governor Kemp has been making an argument that Democratic policies are to blame for high prices, for difficulty finding workers. At the same time, he has given his administration credit for economic development, record tax revenues. Do you worry voters might look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense to me? In the last four months, we have closed the polls Uh, We were down 43 to 51. We have now pulled within two points during the height of those arguments. What Georgians understand is that while there may be a macro success, they are feeling micro pain. They are feeling pain in their wallets. They are feeling pain in their planning. They know their children cannot afford to go to school. They know that Brian Kemp has offered not a single solution. Sam, I think your interview is really interesting because you're highlighting here some of the headwinds that Abrams is facing that are new this year. You have, um, unlike 2018, where Kemp was wielding a shotgun in ads and talking about rounding up, quote, criminal illegals, he seems like the moderate incumbent in some ways, especially when we look at his handling of the 2020 election. It's so different from 2018 in that way. And at the same time, he has the power of the incumbency and the record of uh, economic development that you highlighted. And while Abrams is making her argument, it's more complicated than that. And when you're explaining to voters, as people say, you're losing sometimes. And so that is obviously what Republicans are hoping for. Meanwhile, you know, abortion, guns, these social issues in which we know that Kemp is not in alignment with the majority of voters, as evidenced by the event that you attended, that's where Abrams's team is really hoping to make their jump. So, Emma, I want to talk about a slightly different dynamic with the other major race at the top of the ballot, the U.S. Senate race, where you have two black men at the top of that ballot. You know, Republicans are trying to make inroads with black voters in that race. Is it working? 
you're right. In an ad this week, Walker underlined really the way that we've heard him talking about race already on the trail. He says, you know, Democrats like Raphael Warnock are, are calling us racist and trying to divide us. I'm trying to bring us together. I think we're a great country full of generous people. And it's this lighter message that he has carried with him on the trail for months. And the hope that Republicans have, of course, as you said, is to peel off black voters, really any voters they can get in any way. But the problem that I've heard from some political scientists is that often, first of all, black Republicans don't necessarily fare better among black voters than a white Republican would. Their electorates tend to be pretty similar. Um, But also, you know, as Dr. Andra Gillespie of Emory told me, this ad actually, she says, doesn't seem to be for black voters because she says black people acknowledge there's systematic racism. And so this message seems to be appealing more towards independent white voters. Will it be effective? That remains unclear. But the dynamics we have here underline, as you said, the significance and the rarity of having two black men, two black people, even at the top of such a high profile ticket. So Emma, both of these candidates grew up in Georgia But their views about how they think about race kind of developed differently, even though they kind of had a very similar origin story in the state. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, Walker says that his views on race date back to his time as a teenager in his hometown in Wrightsville, that his parents taught him, quote, when I was a little boy, there was no color in right and wrong, and that he decided not to join in civil rights protests that were happening in Wrightsville at the time, and that he says since then that has given him more of a platform to be able to make change by taking that approach. At the same time, you have Raphael Warnock, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, Martin Luther King Jr.'s pulpit. And so he has not shied away from talking about racism overtly, not saying there is no hope. I mean, you can see in sermons that he talks about, we have to call out racism. You can't heal disease without a diagnosis, but we still can't give up on America. And we certainly have come a ways since Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting that fight. But we do have, as you said, this really big dichotomy in how these two candidates uh, view this really fraught issue. So we've been talking about one of the biggest and most expensive partisan battles in Georgia and maybe in the whole country this year. But Raul, I want to ask you about an intra-party fight over the future of the Republican Party that has been brewing here in Georgia. So I went to an event put on by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. That's the state's leading newspaper. And it featured outgoing Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who decided not to run for re-election. And and during the event, he was asked whether he would back the Republican nominee to replace him, State Senator Burt Jones. And and before I play what, what Jeff Duncan had to say, a quick history about the two. In the days after the 2020 election, after former President Donald Trump claimed that he had won the state of Georgia, Lieutenant Governor Duncan was quickly one of those leading figures to push back on that narrative. State Senator Jones, who uh, backed former President Trump, and it was one of the 16 alternate electors who would have replaced Joe Biden with Donald Trump in the Electoral College. You know, so you had these two butting heads. Then when the legislative session came up after that, Duncan stripped Jones and some of his allies of legislative chairmanship. So there's no love lost between them. So going back to Tuesday night, 
Duncan was asked about whether he would support his fellow Republican. Well, he's not asked for my endorsement, so that's, I think, an important component. And and secondly, I don't believe the election was rigged, and he does. And I just have a hard time, me and my family, with all that we've gone through, uh, to put our stamp of credibility uh, on on a campaign. When your family receives death threats, when you receive mountains and mountains and mountains of negative attention because somebody wants to lie about the outcome of an election, I have a problem with that. As for the campaign of Burt Jones, they sent me a simple one-word response. Who? So, again, as I said, no love lost between the sides. It leaves me with a question. What does this mean for Burt Jones and Republicans on the ballot? Look, Duncan is on the way out, but he's still a sitting lieutenant governor. He was elected here in Georgia, and he's been talking about the future of the Republican Party. And again, back to this idea of every vote matters. Does this cost Burt Jones a handful of votes? Will it gain Jones a handful of votes. Maybe, maybe not. It's just another dynamic to watch in this whole battle for this election, but also the future of, of, of former President Trump and the Republican Party. And, you know, when we look statewide at the Republican ticket, Jones definitely does stand out. I mean, he he had the closest margin in avoiding a runoff. He is also the only statewide, besides Herschel Walker, the only statewide candidate endorsed by Trump who succeeded in Georgia. But the question always with these down-ballot races is, does that delineation break through to voters, you know? I mean, Charlie Bailey has raised money, but certainly not as much as Stacey Abrams. And so Charlie Bailey being the Democratic lieutenant governor candidate. So how much can he really explain this perspective to voters? Or do these candidates just fall the way of the top of the ticket? So guys, we're now 60 days from Election Day. Things are getting close. What is on everyone's docket next week as we're kind of, you know, in the final countdown? I think I've mentioned this before. Um, as an Asian American, I'm really trying to figure out what's happening around these elections and turning out AAPI voters. And so that's a story that that I've been working on. As we mentioned, Nikki Haley is is in town to campaign for Brian Kemp. There was also an Asian American rally for Senator Warnock. So these are different things that that I'm really just you know I'm talking to folks about where the turnout and, and and how they turn out across the spectrum that is Asian Americans here in Georgia. And preview for next week, Raul, you will be bringing donkeys to the show. I hope you recorded some of <laughs> Yes, I, I was at a, a campaign event that a donkey made an appearance. Um, it was a Democratic event. So we'll keep the details secret so people are <laughs> hanging on their seats for next week. Yeah. I'll add in a little plug for one of my Axios colleagues who's going to be interviewing Keisha Lance Bottoms, former Atlanta mayor, current advisor to President Biden on Tuesday. So if anyone wants to check in with former Mayor Bottoms, Axios has got you. Well, that is it for this edition of Georgia Votes 2022. This week with Axios's Emma Hurt and WABE's Raul Bali. Kevin Rinker is our producer. You can leave us a note at georgiavotes at wabe.org. And please rate our podcast. It's super helpful to us. Georgia Votes is a production of the WABE Politics Desk. I'm Sam Greenglass. We'll be back next week. 
The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on the ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.